And we are back with the Intrigue Podcast. We're right alongside Dr. Ellen Wall. Dr. Wall, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you guys in Texas? You know, it's not too bad. I'm looking at the temperature now. <laughs> this can't be right. This can't be did, right. Did we discuss my my visit to Texas in the summer? Does that come Nine, through? 98. No, no, no. Re- read below that. You see what it says below that? No, it's too too little. What does it, it say? It feels like 120. Oh my goodness. That's that can't be right, huh? What? Oh my god. Um no, yeah. Texas? Um yeah, we all went to the family went to Austin oh. uh right before July 4th for a um a, I had some business there and, and we all went. Austin's not exactly the greatest place to go with a, a little one. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. lot of bad traffic there too. It's it's kind of Dice. Bad traffic and the city is really weird. Um, the only upside was that they're doing a lot of construction in downtown Austin. And when you have a little boy who really likes to look at construction equipment, um, <laughs> that provided hours of entertainment. There you go. So yeah. Well, we're also it was really, really hot too. <laughs> oh yeah, it's hot. It's cooled off a little bit, but I think. Of course, looking at that, but high Wednesday is like 107, so oh, it'd be hot again. So, anyways, um, global warming. There we go. How's your uh, how's 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 the grid holding up? The grid so far, you know, I don't think I've seen too many notices about the grid failure. So, I'm feeling fairly confident we won't, you know, have a complete disaster. Uh, yeah, it's so interesting because it's like the issue in Texas is more of the grid in the winter mm-hmm. when it could be like below freezing than it is in the mm-hmm. summer. Well, last, you know, last summer, and it might still a little bit early, be a little early. They they sent out a few warnings that they weren't gonna, they didn't think they'd be able to hit base load or or you know exceed base load or whatever. And um, I don't know. We'll have to. But see. you guys aren't connected to anywhere else, right? So it's not like you can like get from like the Midwest if they're having like a cool weather. Or something, but, you know, the right? most frustrating thing is there's a power, there's a nuclear power plant just. Like as a crow flies, you know, 15 miles from my house. And you're like, okay. <laughs> you can't like get a direct line. Yeah. Just, just put us a tap on there. And so, yeah. Anyway, but Ugh. well, it well, is good to work be like that. <laughs> See, we got a guest coming on here in a little bit. So let's get to it. So biofuels are displacing petroleum-based distillate fuel oil consumption on the West Coast, according to the EIA themselves. This is so, Brian, would you put diesel made from grease or um, what's it called? What do they call it? They, they explain renewable diesel, then they have biodiesel. Um, it's got, um, uh, um, they're talking about, yeah, here we go. Renewable diesel is chemically identical to petroleum-based diesel fuel, but is made using fats, oils, or greases rather than petroleum. So would you put diesel made from bacon grease in your car, or or is your car uh, totally uh, vegetarian? Do you need to go only on, on vegetable oils? We're, we're vegan, so it's, it's one step more. So bacon grease wouldn't work for that reason. Um, mm. Yeah. I, I thought about this when you're talking a second ago. If the it was EP, I guess approves this, um, and you put it in your truck, and your motor doesn't work, like you know it, it it messes up or it, you know the life expectancy is shortened, aren't they responsible for that? 
But you see, you um, see what I'm getting at? Like, so that's a really good question because I, I remember when I was researching ethanol policies. Ethanol. That's exactly what I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah, it's like if you put if you put like E15 in your car and you're not supposed to, I think it actually voids your warranty. So I don't think you can like sue the EPA though. Oh, well, uh, yeah. How is... I mean, you could try to sue the EPA, yeah. but I don't, I don't think you think... could sue them even if, it, if it, even if there was. Yeah, I think it does. Are... I think it voids the warranty, but it says it's chemically the same. So renewable diesel is chemically the same. It's a drop-in replacement for petroleum, but yeah. biodiesel you use it this it's is used the same way as renewable diesel and it's made with the same feedstocks so it's also it's also chemically identical diesel but made from grease and leftover french fry fry oil but it's blended with petroleum distillate mm-hmm. wait a minute no it's used the same way so it's not chemically the same as renewable diesel. And you blend it in concentrations of 20% or less with regular petroleum distillate for vehicle use because it is chemically different. I'm so confused. I I like I, call, I don't call I don't really understand bit. that. I would just well, I want to see I don't know, a couple million miles put on new new fuels before I put them in my vehicle because it's like anything else, you know, we say oh it's the same, it's the same and then we get in there and it's it's not the same. It's different, or it doesn't last as long, or the engine te- deteriorates faster. So, no, I will not be putting that in there unless I am forced to buy. That's the only option of fuel that I have. Um, am I? Is that is that a unique stance? You think? I don't know. I mean, I know I've seen like you know food trucks and stuff, and they're like runs on one hundred percent biofuel made from like the leftover grease that we use to make our French fries, but like. They don't really go very getting some far. kind of grant or something to back that, though. It also says that, um, well, it doesn't say necessarily in this article, but I think I've read that like part of the issue with refineries in the West Coast is that there's so many incentives to open up like biofuel refineries that refineries are either shutting down or they're converting to make biofuel because there's just so many like the government incentives are so good um so but my question is so it says that it's actually displacing distillate fuel consumption but um is it really because so they're measuring it by product supplied Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're basically measuring West Coast distillate consumption measured by product supplied. It was at its lowest since 2002. Are they sure that it's actually like how much of this is actually distillate that's consumption that's being replaced with biofuel and how much of it is just like bad economy or people not using diesel vehicles to begin with? Mm. So I was like a little bit unclear how they know for sure that the, um, you know, the reason is because, you know, it seems to me like, yeah, some biofuel may be displacing regular diesel, but also it could be um, a result of like just less consumption. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And it does say in January, 2022, U.S. renewable diesel consumption surpassed biodiesel consumption for the first time. Um, 
partially because, but it says renewable diesel gets more credits. So you get more credits under the RFS program. So now I can see why like say Chevron or whatever, Phillips or whatever is like, hey, let's take part of our regular um, refinery and convert it to biodiesel. And we get so many more credits in RFS and then like we can trade them or we can just use them. Does that necessarily, like, like how are they measuring consumption of biodiesel? Like we have a lot of ways to measure consumption of distillate. Um, mm -hmm. How are we measuring biodiesel consumption? Are we measuring it? Do we care? I guess we care. Someone cares. But yeah, I, I think if you're a big company like McDonald's or trucking company, I could be wrong. I, I suspect they're getting some kind of tax incentive to put their fleet under risk. Yeah, hmm. it, it would it would just seem to be too big of a risk to switch your fuel as much as they drive to shorten the life expectancy of your your, your fleet, unless they're turning their fleet over and they're putting it on auction on a much more regular basis. So, so, so I will say though that according to this EIA article, there they apparently do measure product supplied. U.S. products supplied a net input of biodiesel and renewable fuel from January 2013 to April 2023. So interesting. So yeah, it does look like it has increased, um, but they're also saying that, so the reason, part of the reason it seems like they are saying that it's displacing distillate is because Distillate demand everywhere in the U.S. has grown except for the West Coast. They said that the decline in distillate fuel consumption in 2022 is unique to the West Coast. Mm. So, and like, it's California, Oregon, and Washington. They're all powering their cars with food-based fuel. I'm sure it's going to turn out well for them. Yeah. Oh, we, we'll see. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll see. From our buddy over Patrick DeHaan, natural national averages sees little change. Gasoline demand plummets after surging for Fourth of July. Hmm. Plummets. What do you make of that. I, I mean, you'd expect it to go down after the Fourth of July, but he's saying it, it plummets. So, um, I don't know. I haven't. You know, I don't follow fuel prices like Mister DeHaan does. It seems like here locally that they're they're down. I mean, I think. Diesel the other day when I was putting it in the truck was three nineteen a gallon, which looks to be kind of um let's see your diesel price of the top ten was four ninety one while the bottom ten percent was three nineteen. So I was at the bottom the bottom end of the mm. spectrum looks like. Um three nineteen is not you know, like not giving it away, but it's not not terribly expensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. I mean, it's true that you would expect gasoline demand to be high for Fourth of July um, weekend, but um, you know, it's kind of interesting that um, we're not seeing much shift. Um, I don't know. What is the what? I mean, what do you think? Is, is there anything to this news that it's basically like everything is just staying very stable? Like his point was like. Prices went down going into July 4th, and now it's just kind of hanging around, same number, not really going anywhere. Well, I'm looking at what he's saying, and I'm looking at the oil prices, which are down today so far. Um, Brent's at 77, WTI's at 73. 
Um, what's, what do you think about the argument that, you know, um, the Biden administration wants to like, whatever, you know, and, and is pursuing these like things with Venezuela and stuff to make sure that gas prices aren't really high when it comes to the election. I mean, my like sense of that is like, why would they be worried about this right now? Gasoline prices are actually really re- totally reasonable. Like mm-hmm. nobody is really complaining about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some other, you know, household goods have come down too. I know there was something the other day my wife was talking about that it had gone up a lot, but maybe eggs, huh? Eggs. Maybe it was, it was like eggs. a whole yeah, thing so, where like some, eggs were super expensive, and now like I, that had gone really up, but then other things had come down. So some of that stuff is, is easing, and whether that's related to gasoline or not, it doesn't matter. It's just it's a break where you you know you, when you're looking for a break. Um, I guess I'm still confused because no matter how much we cut, we can't get the prices back above eighty. Yeah. And we can't even get the prices to 80. 280. We're stuck in the low 70s. Right. And it, I mean, I'm sure at some point, it's, obviously, it's going to change. But right now, we've been in the 70s for some time. Um, so if you're predicting a $90 average for the year, we've got a long way to go to get there. Uh, yeah. Then- All I can say is like these analysts who were like, and they keep making the same predictions. They're like, it's going to go up, you know, as Chinese, you know, economy gets going in the second half. I still see these. They're still, I mean, like, give it up. You're not married to your forecast, are you? Like, all the indications are that China is not going to be rip-roaring. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like, stop trying to predict higher oil prices just because you predicted it in December. Well, it makes you wonder last year how much the price was inflated because of the speculation of kind of this booming economy that's so far not really hit. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think there was a lot, I think a lot of that demand was like, what do they call it? Like baked into prices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now we're just seeing a correction basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't think 319 gas is or at least diesel. Um, you know, it's you know, not what I'd like to pay, but it's you know, it's not terrible. It's not four or five dollars a gallon, so you can you can live with that. Yeah. Well, I would say three nineteen for diesel, according at least according to Gas Buddy, is the bottom ten percent yeah. average. So most yeah. people are not paying quite not paying. that low. And so mm-hmm. yeah, they're paying they're paying more. That's that that's a that's a little bit. Of yeah, more. I think it's at the average. I actually got it cheaper than that because I use a, a friend of mine <laughs> only about to sign up for the racetrack deal. Oh, I got twenty cents off a gallon. That's not bad. It was fantastic. That's... Actually, $2.99. It was, <laughs> it was like $2.99 a gallon. I was like, $2.99. That's gosh. almost like what it was. Like, I remember when I first started driving, gasoline yeah. was still, I could still get it for 98 cents a gallon in New Jersey. Right, right. So I was, like, so it's, it's a little bit more, but at the pump, it was $2.19. But... So guess where the highest diesel price, the highest diesel averages are, the highest oh, diesel yeah. prices are. New York, mm-hmm. California, where? California, California. $4.98. Oh. Washington, $4.90. And Hawaii, $5.67. So Hawaii, whatever, that's its own thing. But um, does that surprise you why people are buying? So either, okay, either there's not enough actual diesel because they're making so much biodiesel that there isn't actually enough diesel. And that's why demand for diesel is down because the supply is down. 
mm-hmm. and the price is up and maybe um, biodiesel is actually coming in at a better price. So maybe that is, is part of it. Okay. Well, let's, yeah, I guess we're going to see it's because school starts here in oh, about a month, month and a half. So all the buses will be fired up and ready to go. That will, I guess, add some diesel demand. We'll see. Um, mm-hmm. All steady as demand woes from weak economic data offset by OPEC plus cuts, a.k.a. <laughs> the demand's weak. We need OPEC to bail us out. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, it, this yeah. I mean, that's what the headline means, right? Like if OPEC yeah. cut, all prices would take. It's like, I'm sorry, Reuters sometimes drives me absolutely bananas, okay? Because they're constantly changing like the headlines for the same article. Like, like it was a totally different article by a totally different person when I found this article this morning. It was, the headline was oil dips on Chinese and US data, but OPEC plus, yeah, now it's oil dips $1 on interest rate fears. Mm. But OPEC plus cuts limit fall. Well, which is it? Mm-hmm. Or is it all of it? Mm-hmm. Well, they don't know. They just they had to put a something up there and they just change it as the news comes out. But but it says there's a quote here from uh Tina Ting, maybe. Um oil traders may be cautious ahead of US CPI, the consumer product uh, price index, and China's slew of economic data later this week. So oh boy, so the Chinese mm-hmm. data comes out bad. That's not good because it says, meanwhile, old demand for China China and developing countries combined with OPEC supply cuts is likely to keep the market tight in the second half of the year, despite a sluggish yeah. global economy. See what I mean? Right. China's not doing well right now. We don't have any indications that it's going to be better. In fact, oil is going down because we think their economic data that's coming out later this week is going to be really bad. But still, you know, the market is going to tighten in the second half of the year. We're in the second half of the year. Yes. Right. Like. Here, we we are here. Yes, we have made. I, it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. Um, at some point, China will turn around. That's I'm, I'm with them. Yeah. <laughs> this there is there is a weird fixation in thinking it's going to turn around. All of last year, okay, cool, and then this year, and th- there's no indication that that's that's what's happening so far, and so. What about, um, here's a question, okay? So one of the things I think that we're seeing with China is their numbers, you know, like their trade with the West is down, okay? And people look at that and they're like, oh, well, that's bad for China. They're not manufacturing as much, et cetera, et cetera. But I've been hearing, and I don't know what the actual numbers are on this, but everyone's saying like, oh, well, the China Ru- China's trade with Russia is way up. So is it possibly maybe the numbers are actually better? It's just that China's do it is is manufacturing and then trading more with Russia, or is it that like trade is down with the West and it's you know they're so they're kind of looking to Russia to do more trade, but the truth is that Russia's economy is like a fraction of the size of mm. the U.S. I don't even think Russia's economy is as big as like any yep. of the major states no, in the U.S. So how much could they actually be buying from China, even if, and they're probably bought, you know, even if they're buying it in Chinese yuan. So it seems like that's still a bad deal for China. Yeah. It's interesting. If you talk, at least in my experience, if you talk to the Russia experts, 
they think that there's no way China's going to uh, connect itself and alienate itself with Russia. Like there's no, mm. there's just no benefit because the EU economy trounces the Russian economy. There's just no reason you'd cut yourself off from the EU just to get Russia or from the U S um, you talked to the China watchers and some of them seem to think that, uh, you know, the, the Russia thing might be more of a, a strategic alliance. Yeah. I, I say all that to say, I, I'm not sure the the Russia Chinese uh, alliance, whatever you call it, you know, I do think there is some poking at the U.S. there, but I haven't seen any indication that that China is fully ready to cut the West off, and that their economy could sustain that. Like, if you're replacing the West, so I'm talking the EU and and the U.S. with Russia, Iran, Venezuela. North Korea, you really haven't done much, right? You haven't really, so their economy can't live off of those economies, I don't think. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. I don't think that you can. I think that's exactly right. And people have a weird sense of like Russia, what they think Russia's economy actually is. Um, I mean, you look at it; it's mostly they mostly export natural resources. So. Um, you know, so it's it's a different it's a different story. I I I think that I I think that people have a really hard time with the economic data from China, also because it's not delivered in like the format or the way they want it to be, and so they end up focusing a lot on things that don't really give them an accurate picture of what's going on there. Yeah, and you know, it's it's already hard enough to track the data from. China and Russia because of how they do it. So when they work together, it probably makes it even more frustrating to to keep up with what's what's going on there. Um, so okay, I think we got time for one last story for Canal hops on, and I just closed it out. But it's about the Iranian seizing a tanker. If you give me half a second here, um, uh, there it is. Okay, so yeah, like is this a big deal? commercial tanker in the Persian Gulf? All right. What's going on, Dr. Wald? I, I don't know. Should we be freaking out about this? Like, is this a big deal? It says, so on Thursday, it says, so this is from Thursday. So this is a couple of days ago. You know, it says they seized a tanker in the Persian Gulf that is claimed to have been carrying smuggled fuel. So the Iranians, I think, are saying it was smuggled fuel. U.S. Navy's fifth fleet said that the IRGC forcibly seized a commercial vessel, possibly engaged in smuggling activity. Um, also the U.S. Navy said it stopped Iran from seizing two commercial tankers earlier this week. The tankers were in international water, one in the Gulf of Oman, and one was 20 miles off the coast of Oman. Um, interesting. So the Navy said Iran backed off the Marshall flagged, uh, Marshall Islands flagged oil tanker and a Bahamian flagged oil tanker, um, because there was a U.S. Navy-guided missile destroyer on the scene. <laughs> um, so that's exciting. Um, and then they said it that Iran fired multiple long bursts from, I don't know, all these weapons, but whatever. They fired at each other. Um, like, is this a big international incident? Is this just not getting any coverage because it is important or it's not important or news agencies are really focused on like suddenly all coming out and saying that like Biden's not fit to be president because he 
curses at his staff and doesn't acknowledge his seventh grandchild or he's too old. And that's like the big story this week. So we're forgetting about like this potentially like military incident in the Persian Gulf. I mean, if this had happened four or five years ago, yeah. oil prices would have jumped because even if it wasn't like an important thing, like just the idea that Iran could seize a tanker would, you know, would definitely bump up oil prices. No doubt. No doubt. There's so much focus on, you know, the Russia stuff that I think these stories are going to be, be tougher to follow. The other thing is, though, it's weird because to your point about, you know, expecting a tight market the second half of the year, you would think seizing a tanker and 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 the where that could head would um but probably push prices forward if you thought that the Iranians are gonna you know be more aggressive. But it doesn't seem that that's how the traders responded. Yeah, it's almost like I mean, was it July 4th weekend? Nobody cares. Is it oh, you know, unless we're like murdering Qasem Soleimani again, or someone's actually destroying, you know, like a Ramco headquarters. We just don't care. Yeah, we reached that point. I don't know. I do know our guest is here, though. Let's see if we can get him on uh, the main screen. And I think he's there. Can you hear? Oh no, he's connecting still. So we'll give him half a second to get hooked up here. There we go. Can you hear us, sir? I can. How's it going? I'm doing great, Ryan. How are you? Well, you're like me. You're over here in Texas, right? It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear AC's humming. My AC is you are. I was showing Ellen earlier on my phone. It says the real, the, the it's 100 degrees. The real feel is 119. I don't even know how it's possible, but it's 20 degrees, basically higher. Uh, is what it feels like that it actually is. So that's that's a uh, good old Granbury, Texas, right now for you. <laughs> it's even hotter I in the cities, I think. Mm. I'll chime in here and say it's ninety four where I am. I mean, oh, Florida is still like kind of a humid soup bowl. <laughs> yeah, less humidity here, so we we've got that going for us. So you you've you have noticed the Ryan the amount of rain we've had this year. I don't know if I I thought it was. It, it seems like it's raining like a couple of times a week. Yeah, we got a sprinkle about seven days ago, I think. And it, of course, last year we went like what three hundred days without rain. It seemed like so. <laughs> it's uh, it was uh, it's, we have gotten a lot more rain so far this summer. So hopefully that trend will continue. Okay, let's. Get I think in. I live in a rainforest. It, like if it doesn't rain in a day, it's like whoa, that's weird. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the this is the Q2 survey, correct? Uh, That's correct. I want to start with the price forecast as I take a look at it here. We were just talking about pricing a minute ago. Um, what do you or what do your respondents expect the WTI oil price to be at the end of 2023? The winner is 80 to 85, we'll call it just shy of 85. Dollars and the second one is seventy-five to basically eighty dollars. So seventy-five to eighty-five are the two uh, largest vote getters. Ellen and I were just talking about this about how many price forecasts we've seen that talk about averaging ninety-five dollars a year uh, throughout the year or ninety dollars the rest of the year. 
it seems like maybe the producers in West Texas um, have a little bit more a pessimistic, but more, more realistic view of where the market's at. So I, I always say we ask them so we better understand like where they think prices are going to be, because in some ways it may impact their capital spending mm -hmm. or how they think about the following year. And so, but the reality is anybody that's been in the oil market long enough knows that the ability to predict prices is very complicated. Uh, it's not just you got to get the price right. You got to give them a date with it. And mm -hmm. sometimes prices can move 20% a week. Mm -hmm. And so executives thinking 77 dollars on average for year end uh during the survey period the price was about 70 so they were thinking that price would increase a little bit if we go back over our survey history generally producers think the prices are going to be generally pretty similar to current prices maybe with a little bit of upside to it um, but when we saw large increases in price in 2022 especially in the first and second quarter they actually thought the price would come down a bit um, but you are correct. It is a little bit different than some of the other price forecasts that are out there that are much higher, at least in the 80s and sometimes even up into the 90s. Yeah, and it is. I mean, obviously, as you say, uh, who knows what it's going to do? We, we don't know. But where we sit today, the path to get to higher oil is always there in front of us because crazy things can happen. But the prediction quarter over quarter, month over month about what's going to happen with the economy. It's it's failed repeatedly. And so at some point, yes, that will eventually change and it will turn over. But it just feels like listening to, I guess, the people on the ground in this case, they, they just seem to be more realistic about where the things are, whereas the the traders or the investment advisors or whatever are a little bit a little bit more optimistic and there might be might be a reason for that. I, I don't know. It's just it just it strikes me as odd because it's hard to read some of these these analysts talking about high prices, and you're like, I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how you get there. But the, the next thing I wanted to talk about was credit conditions, um, and 54% say basically no impact uh, tight credit conditions since February 2023. Obviously, that's not a ton of time, but I want to unpack this question a little, a little bit. Does that mean no impact based upon how they expected it to impact them, or no impact? as it would have always been? Because there's a little bit of a difference in how they how you could view that. So the question uh, which we asked was, have tighter credit conditions since February 2023 had an impact on your firm so far? No additional information was given. Mm. And so, you know, we can add a bunch of stuff to it, but it simply, my understanding is that when they read this question, they're just saying, you know, since February 2023, there has been a lot of developments Mm -hmm. in the banking sector. And so, you know, 54% said that there's just been no impact on their firm. Now, I should mention, uh, you know, slight impact was 28%, significant impact was 18%. We then split the respondents into small EMPs, large EMPs, and services. Services are very, very straightforward, awful services firms. But small EMP firms are firms that produce 10,000 barrels a day uh, or sorry, fewer than 10,000 barrels a day. Large ones are the ones that produce 10,000 barrels a day or more. I like to say that it's important to note that when you pull the production data, large EMPs make up more than 80% of US production volume. And so I think that's kind of like sometimes very important to focus on. But on the other hand, 24% of small EMPs said that they were they had a significant impact. So what that suggests is the smaller firms were more impacted due to the banking 
change in the banking conditions. Large EMPs was 8% and services was 15%. Um, obviously, large EMPs have more sources of credit. They, they can potentially lend from more banks. But if they're very large, they also have access to debt markets. Um, and if they're creative, there may be some other options out there. Now, I, I should mention, we did, at, you probably saw the question right under it. How do you expect tighter credit conditions to affect your business plans through the remainder of the year? Obviously, business plans are only six months to go. Uh, most firms said either no impact or slight impact, um, but there was still 21% that thought there was a significant impact for their second half plans. Um, again, we did split it into small AMPs, large AMPs, and services. On this one, services was 24%. Small EMPs was 22% and large EMPs was 13%. So again, large EMPs, uh, a lower percentage. Uh, on top of that, outside the credit, as you know, although the question was asking about credit, um, they continue to be funded by free cash flow. Uh, they, they, um, I think, I think the percentage for this year will be about 60% of their free cash flow will go into capital spending. So that does obviously provide some buffer. Um, on the services side, we did see. It's kind of hard to say how much of a deterioration, but we'd say like a minor deterioration in their, you know, business conditions. Um, their costs continue to rise, but their selling costs are either flat to down. And together that makes their margins start to compress. And of course, going forward, if their costs continue to rise and that trend continues, then you would see a further deterioration of margins in future quarters. That's uh, that, that's really interesting. I um had a couple. Uh, my my focus was actually kind of more on um what the sense of um businesses was in terms of how um costs are affecting them because um it's it's interesting because um almost right after uh, your survey came out, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that talked about um how costs, you know, while yes, inflation is still an issue everywhere, actually in the oil field, inflation, is, you're actually seeing deflation and the costs for things are going down. But then when you look at the survey, it seems like um, a lot of the um, companies are still very much concerned about rising costs. And, um, you know, it, they're, they're saying, well, it's, it's going, it's, it's not rising as fast as it was, but it's still a, a big concern. And I was wondering if, if you wanted to maybe comment on that or, or break it down. I, I had some thoughts as to why we see this discrepancy, but I'm, I'm curious as to what you think before I offer my thoughts. I, it's a great question. And, and I, I think when we go back to last year, we saw cost inflation in the field. There's a lot of estimates out there. But I think most people would settle on a number between 15 and 25 percent, significant cost inflation last year. So, you know, I think of cost inflation going to the fourth quarter of 2022 for when you're talking about 2022. As we move into 2023, I think in the first quarter, firms saw a slowing increase. And as the year has progressed, we've, of course, seen the rig count fall, let's say, 10 to 15 percent. Now, obviously, that's outside the core regions. Um, and so there's a potential for rig rates to come down. Uh, there's been, I think, the, the price of steel, that, that's kind of widely reported. We've seen those declines. And then diesel, we all can look at the pump and know that diesel has declined. Um, the big question, of course, is what happens in the second half of the year? Do you see a continuing trend and continuing cost declines? Mm -hmm. um, additionally, what we hear from contacts is the larger the firm you are, 
the more pricing power you have, whether it's with your oilfield services firms or with your suppliers. And so I, I think, as we all know, there are thousands of EMP firms out there. Um, the larger firms will have that pricing power to take advantage um, for any kind of sluggishness there is uh, to get lower cost. Whereas if you're a smaller EMP, I think it's going to just take more time. Um, and I think some of the articles kind of reference like 2024 being a year where like everyone will see a decline because eventually those smaller EMPs, if there is a continuing trend, then they may be able to reduce cost. But you are correct. What the survey suggests is, and this is assuming that you know each company gets one vote, there is a continuing increase in costs. Um, that cost increase is slowing. Um, but then, of course, we had a special question, which was, for EMP firms, how do you expect your firm's drilling and completion costs per well at year-end 2023 to compare to year-end 2022? Now, keep in mind, we they, they have to estimate what happens in the second half of the year. And then from the larger firms, 40, let's see, it was 42% said slightly lower and significantly lower was 4%. So together it was 46. Now for the increase, slightly higher was 21 and significantly higher was 13. So you can sum up it together. You say lower is 46, higher is 34. Yes, everyone's saying lower, but it's not too much of a difference. And then there was more that said significantly higher. And so it may also be that you're going to see potentially decreases in cost in the second half of the year. But so far compared to the fourth quarter of 2022, it might be actually slightly up or it could be slightly down. That's that's really interesting. And, you know, I was wondering if part of it had to do with the fact that the um, Wall Street Journal was just looking at the at the prices of materials like steel, whatever, and, and things like that. Whereas when the firms are looking at their costs, they're also factoring in um, the cost of labor, which has not gone down. And so um, they kind of foresee that as a much bigger issue. Um, and, and that's a bigger issue for cost that, you know, like, okay, so great, we can get our steel whatevers, but if we don't have enough money to pay someone to do anything with them, then, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really help us. So good point. Um, good point. I was, I was hey, wondering if it was that. I think so. I, I, something tells me that it's more has to do with the contracts that they have for the rigs mm -hmm. and the contracts they have with suppliers, because Obviously, there's like a day rate and it changes for rigs. But if you lock into a contract and you locked in a contract in 2022, uh, you may be paying a higher price. And for the EMP firms, obviously, their um, salaries are also increasing um, along with service firms because labor's tight. Uh, but something tells me that what's really driving it is just when you sign that contract, when you have the ability to renew um, and then of course for your suppliers, when you buy steel, it may not be like a spot price for the steel. You may have purchased that steel six months in advance. And so it mm -hmm. takes time for these, uh, costs to kind of flow through and then eventually get lower for the services firms. we did ask, how do you expect the cost of your firm's inputs, excluding labor at oh. year in 2023 to compare with year in 2022? We did it on purpose because we know like ever, like it seemed clear before we even asked the question that labor would be up. Um, although we, you know, the, you know, we have these indexes and they give you an idea of expansion versus contraction. They don't give you an idea on labor, 
but it seems to suggest that you're going to have a little bit slower wage growth this year than last year. Hmm. Interesting. Thank you for unpacking that. I, <laughs> I feel like I know a lot more now than I did before. <laughs> uh, two, two things in the, in the, I guess it's the special comments that stick out. One has to do with the cost of re the regulatory environment here in Texas um, and how that's costing companies more money to operate. And the other has to do with natural gas prices. Um, one person says that natural gas prices are unsustainable. And if they stay at this level, for the better part of 2023, it is going to do great damage to our ability to provide natural gas in the future. If we lose low producing, low producing wells, they aren't coming back. And looking at those two comments, so on one hand, you have someone complaining about regulatory issues uh, and the cost of doing business associated with that. And the other person is complaining about natural gas prices and, and how that could do damage. Is there, is this, is, is, are these kind of more odd comments or not odd, but um, on the margin comments uh, about these kind of concerns, or is there more, um, uncertainty maybe among smaller producers about these type of issues? It's a very good question. I always say the comments, they come directly from the executives. So they are a view from an executive and it's a view from that specific executive. I think over the many years we've had the survey, there has been comments around the regulatory environment. Um, I think though, when you talk to contacts, doesn't matter what industry is, a lot of times regulation is something that they talk about um, and then sometimes they may say that there's a cost associated with it. Uh, while I can't specifically comment on it, um, I can mainly just mention that, you know, this, this is something that they did mention, a concern around the regulatory environment. It comes up from time to time uh, in our survey comments. Mm -hmm. uh, for, the, for the natural gas one, I think that one specifically, while we haven't reached out to the specific participant. One thing to remember is that during the survey period, the price of natural gas was $2 an MMBTU. Mm. And there's a cost associated with gathering, mm -hmm. um, transport, so on and so forth. And so that $2 an MMBTU might've been translated even to lower prices than that. And if you had a basis differential that was negative, um, it would be closer to zero, potentially negative. Obviously though, natural gas prices have improved since then. Um, I think it's close to maybe 250 currently. Yeah. Uh, the the concern, obviously, I think it's if you're a smaller producer, is that it's harder to operate at these prices. Um, the larger producers, um, you know, one thing that they're looking, I think they're looking to is that in 2023, the average price of natural gas, protected about a week ago, was about three dollars and fifty cents an MMBTU. Definitely more supportive for natural gas production. But in the meantime, producers will have to take on lower prices. Uh, and obviously that has has implications for drilling in those natural gas basins like the Haynesville and the Marcellus. Yeah, and I think that's kind of my thought is if there, there's always regulatory concern, um, kind of seeing some of that chatter on uh, LinkedIn. I see a lot of people talking about some of the regulatory stuff. And some of the complaints that are out there, you could see more regulatory um, burden coming, but hey, producers, if you don't make a big mess, you probably would fix some of that yourself. So, um, but but the Permian and its ability to produce natural gas in those oil wells, you know, 70 30 split or 80 20 split or whatever, it seems to have squeezed the pure natural gas producers for some time now. And so, if there was a true 
additional costs for regulatory burden on top of low prices. That could be a, a real big recipe for the disaster for the for the smaller the smaller guys out there, it seems. I think I think you have it correct. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, if you're a natural gas producer, these prices are not very supportive, mm -hmm. especially when it was at two dollars an MMBTU, two fifty probably not either. I think most of these producers are looking for prices at least around three. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, last summer we had to go all the way up to ten dollars an MMBTU, and so definitely a pretty big move down. Um, always harder on the small producers, especially since they don't have that scale. Um, and then, like you mentioned, regulatory, I mean, they all, contacts always talk about how it's a cost. Um, again, it's the specific person mentioning it. I can't really comment too much further on, on it. Um, but, uh, you know, whenever there is a, whenever there are lower commodity prices, it generally impacts the smaller producers more. Um, and again, there's thousands of them out there. Some of them are producing, you know, they got a couple wells uh, and they're producing um, but of course, the larger ones, that's where they have more stability and flexibility to deal right. with the lower prices. And it's good to tease it out because you read these comments and you go, oh, is this the CEO of ExxonMobil or is this, you know, Bob who's got three wells? And and most producers have stripper wells and those are very small, especially on the old side, very, very small volumes. And I think, I don't know the number, but uh, most wells are kind of fall in that category. So, all right, Dr. Walt, I'll let you last question. What's your question for you? I'll give you the last one. Um, what's on tap for the next, uh, survey, any, any exciting questions, uh, you know, rumbling around your brain for, uh, for, for the producers. Good, good question. So we, we do, uh, the next survey is still quite a ways away. We'll release it on September 27th, uh, a Wednesday at 9.30 AM central time. Still thinking through what would be the best question to ask. I, uh, we, we want to make sure it's timely uh useful interesting and insightful yeah. and so i i honestly don't know and and a lot can happen mm -hmm. I, I remember 2022 there was so much the start of the year each month something different was happening <laughs> uh, and so i i it's kind of hard to say what we'll mm -hmm. land on um I, i'd be curious to know what producers think about how um either um, how the Chinese economy is impacting oil prices or what they think about all these new uh, LNG deals that are going through and whether that's going to impact or how that's going to impact natural gas prices in the U.S. or um, production or, or or all that. So not that, not that you have to take my suggestions, but I'd, I'd certainly be interested to see, um, you know, what they what, what they're thinking about that or or if they even care. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Those are both two very good topics. We'll I'll, I'll definitely add it to the consideration list. <laughs> and I should mention, if you are interested in the Chinese economy, while we didn't ask specifically about the Chinese economy, we did ask in this in this in the survey how has global oil consumption so far this year compared to what you expected before China announced mm. its reopening in December 2022. They huh. generally said slightly underperformed. Hmm. Um, I think that if we were to ask just specific about Chinese oil consumption, it would have been too specific. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. as you know, Dr. Wald, the, the statistics out there for Chinese oil consumption tend to vary by analysts. <laughs> that is a very good point. <laughs> and and so uh, 
it, it is quite debatable, but I think the executives have generally felt that like just oil consumption in general has slightly underperformed what they expected at the start of the year. But definitely we'll add both of those to our consideration. Um, there are quite a few LNG terminals that are coming on next year. That could be why the strip for natural gas is close mm -hmm. to 350 for next year, um, which is, of course, higher than it is currently. Hmm. Very interesting. Thank you so much. Always appreciate being on the show both for both of you. Um, and, uh, of course, look forward to seeing you both soon. All right. Thank you so much. All right, Ellen, where will you be this week? This week, I will be on investing.com on uh, Thursday morning. Not quite sure what I'm going to write about, but it will be scintillating as always. Okay, and I will be on Inside the War Room. And with that, we'll talk to everyone next week. Bye. Bye.